strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Run and remind you, bottom of this hour, each week we do it on Monday, or we'll do it following a Cardinals game. It is called, we affectionately call it Bird's Eye View. It's brought to you by our friends over at AZ Valley Windows. We talk with Ron Wolfley from Arizona Sports, your voice of the Arizona Cardinals. Get a wrap of a game. Different different team yesterday played on the field. Same results, but a different team on the field. We'll talk a little bit about that at 935. Um, so there is a story which I find fascinating. Phoenix police struggle to hire officers of color. Um, this is an interesting story. Um, it says, amid existing hiring shortages, the Phoenix Police Department is struggling to hire diverse officers. A report given to Public Safety and Justice Subcommittee earlier this month put the current numbers of sworn officers at about 1,600, nearly 500 short of ideal operations, according to Assistant Chief of Police Brian Chapman. But the shortage is even more critical among officers of color. Let me start there. I want to and I'm going to I'm going to be as respectful in this regard as I possibly can. This is a story out of California. Now, obviously not Phoenix, but this mirrors where I'm going. A California parent spoke on Monday after a high school football team was banned from carrying the thin blue line flag onto the field after critics alleged the symbol is divisive. Saugus High School mother Lexi Hawk talked about this, said he thinks it's ridiculous personally, but he's respectful of the school's decision at this time. Her son said he likes to play football. He doesn't want anybody being offended. He would never have thought anybody would have been offended. Now, Saugus High School was uh, the site of a shooting and where police saved students' lives. And the students, and that was three years ago, and students wanted to carry the uh, thin blue line flag, and they called it divisive. Now, I want to wade into this lightly because I don't want to start a fight. I want to start a discussion. If the thin blue line lives, the thin blue line flag is divisive. Isn't the Black Lives Matter flag also divisive? Because it's caused a segment of society to say all lives matter and blah blah blah. Isn't it divisive on its face in that regard? Wasn't there a bunch of controversy and discussion about does that kind of politics belong on the football field? That's divisive. How about kneeling for the national anthem? That was intentionally divisive. That was supposed to get people's attention. Oh wait a minute, you think they were wrong for disagreeing with that? So therefore. It's not divisive to you. Just some people out there. If we are going to be milk toast, if we are going to be non-confrontational, if we are going to not face issues, then let's not face them at all. But you can't say we're going to fly this flag and then not that flag. It used to be in this country that it was patriotic. So the story we started with is the Phoenix Police Department is struggling with diversity. How in the world are you going to recruit officers of color when neighborhoods of color are saying that police officers are murderers with badges? Now, I'm not saying that. That's Black Lives Matter that's saying that. The thrust of the defund the police movement came from people saying that police officers treat people of color differently and they're bad people. I've had people come on this show that said from Black Lives Matter that officers, they described them as murderers with badges. If that's the message in your community, why would any of those people want to join their ranks? It is it's almost as if you say police officers are are abusive. 
in general, abusive to different races of people. And then you're critical of them for not hiring people of those races. And it's, it is just one more way to go after policing and act as if they are the problem. The problem is the messaging. Can you imagine? I, I just I can't imagine this this mindset. You know, 9-11 and what happened on 9-11 and how respectful we've been of first responders whose lives were lost. FDNY, NYPD. Um, you see the hats everywhere. I have I have an FDNY hat. I've got an NYPD hat. I've got uh, uh, friends that were with a, a, a very close friend, as a matter of fact, retired from the New York City Fire Department. And the respect that's given to first responders, but for whatever reason it is, we want to demonize an entire profession in law enforcement, and it's worked. In large, in large regard, it's worked. I've used the examples of teaching. We have seen such an uptick in the last, I don't know, two years, whatever reason, whether it's more reporting or it's happening more often, of teachers with abusive relationships with students, not just in Arizona, but across the country. Inappropriate texting relationships, physical relationships. We've had teachers get um, arrested and fired. I just saw a story the other day of a teacher carrying on a relationship with a 17-year-old student. He had had sex with a student. Not only did he have sex with this girl in school, but at home, so at her house or or his house, I mean, and on school property. So no one, including myself, as much of a disagreement as I have with the politics of education, I've never come on this show, nor will I ever, and say that there is a systemic problem in teaching and that teachers go into the profession so they can prey upon children. I've never said that, that it's a systemic problem in the profession. But there is a pervasive message that went into policing a few years ago that was cops are murderers with badges, that there might be spots of good ones. A couple of cops might do a good thing, but we got to stop saying nice things about cops because they're murderers with badges. As a matter of fact, let's take live PD off of television. Let's take cops off of television. Why? Because it shows them as good guys. And we know they're not good guys. They are bad guys and girls. They're just bad people. That's the message we've sent for years. Now you get a story written that says the Phoenix Police Department is having a hard time hiring in diversity. Gee, I wonder why. I wonder why you're having a tough time getting young men and women of color to join the ranks of a police department. Maybe it's it's been drilled into their head that the problem is that officers are murderers. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe you are a traitor to your race if you become a cop. Maybe that's why. And you know the shame of it all? Those could be the very people that change the perception. They don't want – and I'm not saying everyone, but a large, the people with the loudest voices in this movement, they don't want the perception changed because this is an anti-authority message. The same people – that never wanted in the same mindset, I should say, that didn't want recruiters on college campuses after enduring the Vietnam War because they were baby killers. The same mentality of anti-establishment, anti-authority that lumped all members of the military as baby killers. When soldiers were told that were returning, depending on what airports they were flying into, returning from Vietnam, were told not to wear their uniforms because they would get spit on or they would be called baby killers killers, they would be harassed. The same mentality exists today in the anti-police movement that says all cops are bad. 
I mentioned to you uh, my connection to law enforcement. I've spoken at the DPS uh, award ceremonies for their employees of the year awards that they've given out. Salt River Police Department, I've done it for them as well. I had the privilege of being at the ASGIA conference, the Arizona Gang Investigators Conference recently. And you talk about a diverse crowd. You talk about people of all of Hispanic descent, of Asian descent, of African-American descent in leadership. One of the chiefs that spoke was talking about his days in gangs, African-American cop that is now the chief in one of the cities. I believe it's Tempe. And here we have a story written that basically demonizes Phoenix PD because it doesn't hire enough diverse officers. And the, and you hear this message that's drilled into their heads that the blue line, thin blue line flag is divisive. It is absolutely absurd and it is absolutely insulting. And I think the sooner we dismiss this message, the better off we're going to be. Coming up in a minute, uh, what's the best school in Arizona? It's a familiar name. We'll talk about it next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. We all remember the number. Thanks for being here. Um, Appreciate you spending some time with the show. The question is, what school is Arizona's best? Once again, it's the basis school in Chandler. The basis schools have led the country, not just in the state of Arizona, but been leaders in education across the country. And there's an argument or a conversation, I should say, about why that is. And people say they handpick their students and all these other things. Well, you can you can complain about other people's success or you can try to attain it. And uh, basis Chandler head school, Matthew uh, Fritz Miller. Uh, often gives the tour when parents are considering sending their children to the charter school. He mentions that every student at basis must take an advanced placement classes. They sometimes pause and look him wide-eyed. Parents' uh, eyes get really big when I say AP is at the fifth grade. And again, high standards. I will tell you, and I mean this very sincerely, we at times underestimate our children. Um... When I was – and this is not teaching. I'm not comparing myself to an educator. I'm talking about uh, high standards. Um, We coached uh, football. I was coaching Pop Warner football before I started coaching high school football. But we did it in high school as well. But in Pop Warner football, um, you have recruiting areas where you recruit from. There's a district in which you have borders, boundaries where you recruit kids from. And we brought kids in from neighborhoods that were rough, rough neighborhoods, you know, a lot, a lot of low income families, a lot of single parent homes. And we got coverage for kids to pay the entry fees and equipment fees if they couldn't do it. And but we held kids to a standard. They had to have a, a C average, I believe it might have been a B average, but it was at least a C average in school. They had to do their homework. If they didn't, if they weren't meeting the grade, they had to come to football practice and do their homework on the picnic tables with one of the coaches. They had could miss practice, but they had to bring their homework they didn't get to dress out for practice and if you didn't practice you didn't play in the games so on saturday you are a water boy you wore your jersey no uniform and you made sure you took care of your teammates you weren't excused you had to be there you just couldn't play and we watched every single one of those kids grades elevate why because they had something that they wanted and they worked harder at it they were good, well-behaved young men and women, the cheerleaders. We had a couple of girls that played for us as well. They were, they were well-behaved, well-acclimated uh, young children because they had a goal and they had a standard that was set by people that wouldn't take any less than their best. 
And if you look around when excellence is the standard, people usually meet the standard. And we sell our kids way too short. We make too, way too many excuses. Now, I still believe there's a lot to be done in education to help children learn. But this is a, just a great example of why parents are looking for school choice. Why isn't it a public school? Why isn't it a district school? Again, this is one of those questions about funding, yes, but it's also about standards. It's also about the standards for teachers and the standards teachers have for their students. And it's a great story. Now you compare it to this, the Chandler Unified School District, parent alarmed by a book her son found in the library. It's more a book that her son was uh, got out of the library. Um, Chandler, A Chandler parent said her 11-year-old son handed her a book he found at his school's library and said, Mom, I don't know if this is appropriate for me. And it was about a young kid, transgender, how you can take hormones and all these other things. This is an 11-year-old, an 11-year-old. So you can't tell me that this isn't a political movement. And the mother in this in this story uh, quotes and says, you know, if I handed this book to a kid on the street, I'd be arrested. And I've asked that question. I've made that statement many, many times, which is if a parent had their child spoken to or handed a book by anybody else but a school system like this, they'd want that person arrested or they'd want that person to never be around their child again. Why do we want to sexualize our children at a young age? Why are we talking to younger and younger children about gender identity and gender fluidity? And it is, it's a mess for kids anyway. Hormonally and otherwise, it's a mess time for kids anyway. And then you're going to throw this at them. And don't tell me it's that they're not impressionable. They are. And I feel for kids that are transgender. I feel for anybody going through difficulty with identity of any kind. But this is a political movement. There is no doubt that this is a political movement. And I don't know why we're tolerating it because they can't read. Children, this is being, and not everywhere, not everywhere, this is taking valuable class time up that should be used for teaching kids the basics so they can figure things out on their own. And that's where I don't know where the fear is from people. And maybe it's not fear. Maybe it's just a political agenda. But if we equip our children with tools, they'll figure it out. I figured it out. You know, I was a mess of a teenager. Now, I, I wasn't a criminal. I didn't do drugs, but I was a mess of a teenager. Emotionally, I was a mess. I wanted to work and grow up. I got my first job at 12. I wouldn't listen to my mom. You know, I got I was working full time at 15 in restaurants thinking making 300 bucks a week at 15. I had the world by the tail. It wasn't until I found the trades at 18 and then a few years beyond that that I did any form of growing up, really. But I had the tools. I was educated. So when I was ready to learn and I was ready to straighten up, I had everything I needed to do it. And we are not doing that for our children right now. It's why parents are looking to expand school choice. It's why parents are making the choices they are to look around and find other avenues to educate their children. And I, and I just hope you'll examine those, those uh, areas because you want what's best for your kids. Coming up in a moment. Ron Wolfley joins me, and it is the bird's eye view we do each week. It's coming up. Broomhead talks Cardinals with color analyst and former Cards fullback Ron Wolfley. Oh, my digging the chili of what the Cardinals are mixing up. Bird's Eye View, brought to you by AZ Valley Windows, Arizona's most trusted window replacement company since 2004. 
All right, he is back. I call him the sledgehammer of sports broadcasting. Ron Wolfley, welcome back, Wolf. What's up, bro? Uh, let's talk about yesterday. I was at the game yesterday, and uh, a, a different-looking Cardinals team for the most part. They stayed in that game throughout all of it, had a chance at the win. Some mixed emotions for you? Yeah, you know, um, listen, anytime your defense gives up uh, 20 points, you feel really, really good that your offense is going to score 21 points. But as I have talked to you about now, over and over, early in this season, Brew, the offense underperformed and the defense over-delivered. When you look at the, how that game ended, um, am I being too harsh and criticizing and saying that Kyler Murray has to know where the sticks are and he's got to start that slide a little further ahead so they've got a first down with 22 seconds and not uh, a spike in fourth down? Yeah, this is really, really tough right here. It is, because if you're looking for blame, yeah, blame Kyler Murray for actually not picking up that first down right there and not knowing it. Not knowing that he did not pick up that first down and then spiking it right there. I have a hard time doing it because he's out there competing. It's not like he was trying to not convert. He thought he ran enough and had the first down. You just got to know that, though. You do. If you're looking for why the Arizona Cardinals in that end game scenario lost the game. Yeah, Kyler Murray, you can't slide. You gotta, you gotta head first that thing. You gotta know that you picked up the first down and then go ahead and spike it. He obviously spiked it thinking that it was a first down when it wasn't. It was third down, which meant now all of a sudden you've got to kick the field goal. So, listen, I've lost a game for my team myself. I know what that's like. It stinks. And they're never in that situation without Kyler Murray. Yeah. But Kyler would tell you himself, yeah, he, he can't make that mistake. Um, the offense, again, anemic in the first half. They've been outscored 38 nothing in the first half of games this season. What's, any idea what that's from? What's causing that? I've talked to you about this over and over and over again. I don't know. I do believe that there are defenses now as the season is unfolding now. Five games, of course. I think there are defenses that see certain tendencies. I think they're trying to mix up their their defenses a little bit, try to confuse Kyler Murray, try to confuse the protection schemes. I think they're taking more chances early in a game and then hoping that they get the lead. And when they get the lead, they put two safeties high and play an awful lot of zone. They go from a cover two shell and they play a lot of zone that way, Bruce. So, to me, I, I think that is going to be the strategy trying to defend Kyler Murray going forward. But Kyler also has got to start better. He wasn't very accurate um, early on. He he didn't look for his opportunity to run the ball often enough, and honestly, underthrew Hollywood Brown over the top on that pick. Mm-hmm. And when you look at uh, the defense, let's switch to the other side of the ball. That defense now has given up 20 points to the Rams and 20 points to the Philadelphia Eagles. This defense is playing really well. No, it's unbelievable, bro. It is. It's why this is so confounding. It is because coming into this season, there was no doubt in my mind. There was no doubt in a lot of analysts' mind the strength of the Arizona Cardinals football team was going to be their offense because of all the names. Even without D-Hop in the first six games of the season, they still had so many other weapons that they were going to go out and be the strength of this team. And... That just has not been the case. 
because of their slow starts in so many of these games, and yet defensively, the defense was an unmitigated disaster in the first six quarters of the season. The four quarters against the Chiefs, and then, of course, the first two quarters against the Las Vegas Raiders in Vegas, they were as bad as I've seen since Cliff Kingsbury and the coaching staff sent up here. Since that point, the halftime of Vegas, they have been incrementally getting better and better and better. And to give up 20 points to this Eagles team, that's the number four scoring team in the National Football League coming in to that game, and to give up 20 points to the Rams of the defending Super Bowl champion Rams, especially at State Farm Stadium, and you lose both those games because your offense can't score 21, Brew, it's just sad. Yeah. Um, what about injuries? They got a big game coming up, division game coming up next Sunday. Um, any report on injured players? No, I don't know. I just know they've got a lot of them. Uh, James Conner, of course, left the game with rib injury. Daryl Williams, they had one running back. You know, Benjamin was healthy going into that fourth quarter. They're all banged up on the offensive line. Rodney Hudson's all nicked up, and it's not good going forward. It really isn't, especially with those offenses um, and the problems they've had offensively. Now, all of a sudden, you've got guys that are all nicked up. Who knows? They're, they're... Injury report every week is twice as long as whatever team they're playing, and I'm not exaggerating. That's been the case. So hopefully they're going to get some guys healthy. they got one more game here before DeAndre Hopkins comes back. Hopefully they'll get it together here and turn the ship around. Yeah, hopefully that uh, they're circling that Thursday, October 20th game against the Saints is finally picking up a home win and getting that monkey off their back. Yeah, that'd be nice. Right now, they basically have not won at State Farm Stadium in almost a calendar year. October 24th, it's going to be a calendar year. Can you imagine? I know. And last thing I want to talk about, I don't know if you've seen the highlights of it. Did you see the call against the Atlanta Falcons on uh, the tackle against Tom Brady? Have you seen it? I did. And? I did. I I am outraged. Seriously. How in the world that can be a personal foul roughing the passer penalty is beyond me. And at some point in time, the league is going to have to address it and start fining or suspending certain officials based on what they're doing. Because that call was outrageous. It was horrible. Now, is that a reaction, do you think, to the way that Tua was injured and knocked out of a game? It was basically the same kind of tackle, not as violent, but same kind of tackle. Is that basically what that referee was saying, that he took him to the ground too hard? No, I don't think so. I think it was Tom Brady. Because it was Tom Brady. Brady has always gotten the favor. If you ask me, he's gotten the favor of any quarterback in the NFL of the officials. It's been Tom Brady that has gotten that favor. And um, from time to time, you'll see it. He's, He's got more roughing the passer penalties against him than I think any other quarterback in the league. And wouldn't you wouldn't you agree, you've been around this game for a very, very long time, that was almost a textbook way that the NFL wants someone to tackle a quarterback now. Didn't put his weight on him, didn't land on top of him, took him to the ground. I don't know how else you can get the guy on the ground any other way than he did that. 
No, there's no other way you could do it, possibly. Just make sure he gets down. Tackle him. It just you, you have to stop it. You can't put flags on these quarterbacks. This is tackle football. Yeah. Amen. Wolf, as always, it's so good. I, I know you had such a busy weekend, so thanks for the time today. I look forward to seeing you next week. Okay, buddy. Thank you. All right. That's Ron Wolfley. Uh, our bird's eye view segment we do every day at 935. You hear the frustration, disappointment in his voice. It sounded almost like a little bit sad for the Cardinals. They The defense played well enough to win against two really good teams this year. The offense got to get it together. Hopefully it's coming. Division game coming up. The, the good news for the Cardinals, they're still not out of it. They still have a chance in the division because not many good teams in the division as of right now. So let's see if they can turn this ship around. Coming up in a moment, um, we're going to talk about the border. More around made as migrants being smuggled into the U.S. We'll talk about that in just one moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, I appreciate you spending some time with the show. Um, four people were arrested after nine migrants were found in a cattle trailer near Nogales. So four people were arrested in a traffic stop. Agents pulled over a semi-trailer pulling a cattle trailer on October 1st around 1 a.m. and found them hidden in a compartment below. The driver and the passenger of the semi-truck were arrested as well as the two others in a Ford pickup truck that was there at the scene. Uh, the reason why I start with this is because the border continues to be an issue that needs to be dealt with. I found this story. This You can, you can read this story over at uh, KTAR.com. It is uh, a story about two conservation groups who are using remote cameras to study the southern border's impact on wildlife. Uh, Sky Island Alliance and Wildlands Network installed cameras throughout the refuge in June to determine if the wall's effect on wildlife behavior and movement, according to a press release. Um, the flood, here's a quote, the flood gates may offer some of the only crossing points for large mammals in this 70-mile stretch of wall. So it's vitally important to understand the types of species using these openings and how frequently they do. Uh, uh, this was a spokesperson for the Sky Island Alliance. So um, I will tell you that the environmental concerns at our border are interesting to me, and I will explain why. Um, the environmental disaster at our southern border is happening because we have absolutely no control over it. So when people have been sneaking into the country through the desert and, de- and decimating it, I, this is the part of it that outrages me in the, in the hypocrisy of this. The environmentalists in this country, the climate change ad- activists and the people that are outraged at the decimation of land that they believe is happening because of industrialization and expansion. No, none of them. I've not heard one group speak out about what's happening at the southern border. Not one. Not one group. You can look up pictures online doing any kind of an internet search you want to do on the extreme disaster that is at the southern border. We are there as human waste. There is trash. It is just decimating the desert. Protected land in many cases. You've got ranchers that are talking about employees that they hire. It's their full-time job to repair fencing, repair damaged structures, and to clean up trash on their land from people that are crossing the border illegally. And the issue here is that – and I will tell you, it's not – I don't blame the people so much that are coming. They don't know where they're going, and they don't know where they're crossing, which is why they're being guided across by the cartels. But if you're going to ask the the question about environmentalism and what it's doing to habitats for animals and how it's affecting uh, wildlife that's crossing, you know, they don't know borders as wildlife that's crossing near the border. Why is this become an issue now? Why is this an issue now that border structures are going up? Is it part of a political question? 
Is it keeping out people? Probably not. But it's not only not keeping out people, but it's also keeping out animals and wildlife. That's going to be the narrative in some of the stories. Not this story. I'm not saying not in this story, but that's been the narrative. But where are the environmentalist groups in the outrage? Where is the outrage? Because what's happening at our southern border, for a multitude of reasons, we all should be outraged about. And we should be outraged by the uh, how it's exploded in its problems and how it has not been handled. I acknowledge, acknowledge every time I talk about it, almost every time I talk about it, that it's not one administration that's responsible for it and no administration has been able to fix it. But you also have to acknowledge that it's worse now than it's ever been. And every expert I've talked with says it's the policies of this administration that have made it this bad. They will not reverse or change course on anything. And it's a disaster. Now, here's another disaster, the environmental problem. It is a disaster. I want you to hear Governor Abbott talking about the relief. Towns on the Texas border were overwhelmed by Joe Biden's uh, border policies that were dumping thousands of illegal immigrants into these small little towns. They were completely incapable of dealing with it, and they needed relief. And now we're hearing that uh, places like El Paso are shutting down their services and they don't know what they're going to do with people that are crossing because they're overwhelmed. So we heard about New York, state of emergency. It's not getting better anywhere else. And this is where all of us, every single one of us, have got to acknowledge a disaster. And whether you blame this president or you don't, it's their responsibility to do something. Every one of us should be lobbying the federal government saying you are the ones who are charged with border security and with border protection, and you are the one that said you are going to be more humane. It's time to show us. What are you going to do? And the answer so far has been absolutely nothing. They have done nothing. They are doing nothing, and I don't think they are going to do anything. The vice president was charged with fixing this. How come we aren't, how come we aren't hearing the outrage from people that the vice president's been absent on this issue? It makes me crazy that we don't hear more of this unless people speak out. We're not going to get a solution to this problem. It just won't happen. What we're going to do coming up in the next beginning of the next hour is go back to the economy. There is a, uh, a chief economist that says the U.S. is heading into a pretty deep recession that was totally avoidable. We'll talk about gas prices and what might be a silver lining for holiday shopping. We'll talk about that coming up in just a couple of moments. So please stick around.